This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome to Property Pod's Office Hours. This is the part of the show where we answer your questions about business, big tech, entrepreneurship, and whatever else is on your mind. So we try to answer your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, please visit officehours.propgmedia.com. Again, that's officehours.propgmedia.com. I have not seen or heard these questions. First question. I listened to your show about a year ago, and I've learned so much from you, and I appreciate you as a young professional. I am a 25-year-old recent college grad. I recently started a sales development manager position at Tech Startup and currently interviewing at a number of different nonprofits for board experience. My end goal as a professional is to be a board member of a publicly traded company. I know that you've sat on a number of boards. So what advice can you give to a young professional who seeks to have that same position in the future? Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you and the work that you and your team do for the show. Uh, the fact that you're even thinking that way at the age of 25 means that you probably will be on a board at some point. So boards are really, it's one of those kind of uh, I think they used to say it about the Gurkhas, which is like the elite fighting force of the Indian army. And that is uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And that is the hardest thing about getting on a board is getting on your first one, especially publicly traded one. You usually get there after a long prestigious career as a CEO somewhere because you have um, some domain expertise. And also lately, there's been a huge uh, demand for uh, female or people of color uh, to join boards because basically boards to this point have been the land of stale, pale, and male. And that is just old fucking white dudes sitting around a table getting paid $150,000 a year to pontificate on what they think the company should do. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for groups that have been traditionally excluded from boards. Anyways, not your question. I would say that at the end of the day, the way you get on a public company board is you just sort of kill it professionally and develop deep domain expertise or are seen as somebody who can add value to a board. Uh, I get calls, what feels like every week, it's probably every other week from very accomplished professionals who say, hey, you know what? I would like to be on a board. And it's okay. Um, but unless you're called, it's the kind of thing you don't ask for. You're either called or you're not. So there's no real algorithm, other than being the CEO of a publicly traded company, you'll get opportunities to be on boards. Also, financial professionals as the hardest board members to recruit are for the audit committee because those people actually have to do real work on the board, which typically board members don't like to do. 
So other than being a CPA and the CEO of a publicly traded company, I would say that at the end of the day, you just have to work hard and develop domain expertise and be successful yourself. But there is no algorithm or secret sauce for immediately becoming a publicly traded board member. The way I got on public boards, I started a public company, so I was automatically on the board. The other way I got on public company boards, I raised a shit ton of money, bought huge percentages of publicly traded companies, and then demanded to be on the board. So I was not invited on a board. Uh, my first public company board was at the age of 34 when I was on my own company's board, but I was not asked or invited to be on a public company board until I was well into my 40s. And now I get asked a decent amount, uh, but that's only because I've been on board. So again, I apologize for the wishy-washy answer, but my brother, like anything else, the key to success in that domain is killing it. Thanks for the question. Next question. Hey, Scott. Aaron here. I'm about to leave my comfortable job at a mid-sized tech company to lead a team at a small 20-person startup working on NFT infrastructure. Now, I was originally going to ask if I should take the job or not, but given I'm a young, motivated 30-year-old in New York City, I imagined you'd say yes. So I took it. Now, I'm trying to figure out how to elegantly and professionally leave my current job such that I could potentially come back should my startup dreams crash and burn. P.S. Could not agree with you more on how powerful writing is as a tool. I actually got introduced to this startup because of a blog post I wrote last year. Love the show and appreciate the advice. Thanks. Uh, Aaron, first off, congratulations on your new gig. You bring up something that's really important, and that is how you leave, how you end a relationship is as important as the relationship to that point. And that is you can spend 10 years at a firm, work your ass off, be a good manager, be a good citizen. And if you succumb to the temptation to stick up the middle finger on the way out or to shitpost people or to talk about what you don't like about the firm or to not be gracious when you leave, it kind of stains the entire thing. You want to leave with grace. You want to walk into your boss's office and you want to say, look, uh, I'm leaving. I'm taking a job in an NFT infrastructure company. I want to do something like this. It's a great opportunity for me. How can I make my exit as painless for you? You want to give them, one, as much notice as possible. You want to be as gracious as possible. You want to try and ensure that your responsibilities are covered. In sum, how you leave, how you leave the 30, the 60, the 90 days before you exit are as important as the previous several years or even decades. I know a lot of fantastic employees who were just kind of jerks on their way out the door, and that's all anybody remembers. People remember how you behave at the end. So what do you do? Simply put, you have a ton of grace, you make additional effort. Maybe you wanna leave in two weeks because your head is already at the new firm. Don't do that. Stay around as long as they need you. I mean, within reason, such that you can make your exit as seamless for them. And the truth has a nice ring to it. You're going to an NFT infrastructure firm. You want to bet on something more risky, more future forward. I think they will understand that. Uh, congratulations. This is, a, this is a good problem, Aaron, from NYC going into NFT infrastructure. We have one quick break before our final question. Stay with us. Support for this podcast comes from Grammarly. Writing is something that we do every single day, from an informal text conversation with friends to sending those all-important email to clients. People need to understand what you are trying to say. Thankfully, Grammarly is a trusted AI writing partner that saves your company from miscommunication and all the waste of time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is more than just a grammar check. It can help generate AI prompts or even help you strike the right tone and personalize your writing based on audience and context. We here at the PropG team use Grammarly, and all I have to say is it makes our written work better. Plus, Grammarly integrates seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. No cutting, no pasting, no context switching. Personalized on-brand writing help 
is built into your docs, messages, emails, everything. So why not join Grammarly to work faster, hit your goals while keeping your data secure? Learn more at Grammarly.com. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Welcome back. Question number three. Hi, Scott. I started reading No Mercy, No Malice years ago. And although I find myself disagreeing with many of your opinions, I still look forward to Friday mornings when I know that email is on its way. And now I'm really enjoying the podcast as well. Winning over those who think like you isn't that impressive, in my opinion. But in my case, and I suspect for many others that listen to your content, you're appealing because of the way you think, not just what you think. I might even admit to being persuaded to your side of an argument a few times. But my question is, do you create your content with those that disagree with you in mind? And how can we replicate more of this phenomenon of disagreement, but respect in our world? Chase, I absolutely love this question, and I'm, I, I'm flattered by it. Uh, my mission around this stuff is not to be right. It's to catalyze a conversation. I think through civil, thoughtful, rigorous debate, we craft better solutions. And Salman Rushdie, uh, who I've been reading a lot about because of the recent attack on him, uh, a lot of his work is being highlighted. He said that when you conflate uh, a discussion around ideas with personal attacks, or if you start attacking someone personally because you disagree with their ideas, it's the end of modern civilization. And I think there's some real merit to that. And that is, we can disagree with each other politically, but it, we don't have to be enemies. We can disagree with each other around the value of a company, but that doesn't mean we should shitpost each other on Twitter. Uh, and by the way, you disagree with me a lot. I disagree with me a lot. Occasionally, I find I say something and then I think about it and then I come back to it and then people inform me of information that's out there that I didn't absorb. And I realize, you know what? I got that wrong. I was wrong. And the key isn't to be right. The key is to evolve as a person to get to a better solution. I don't, it's dangerous to say right or wrong because as evidence moves on, as the world moves on, as science moves on, as control groups and experimentation and peer review research move on, we find a lot of us were right or wrong uh, uh, looking back. So I think it's really important. And I purposely try to like comments that disagree with me on Twitter. They're civil because I recognize I get it wrong a lot. And what I think you should do, or I think how we foment uh, a better world that crafts better solutions is to recognize if you're in the other party, it doesn't automatically make you my enemy. If you disagree with what I say, it doesn't mean that my job is to undermine your credibility and shitpost you. 
peer-reviewed research in academia, which is the basis for a lot of great breakthroughs scientifically, is dependent upon people disagreeing with you. When academic theories are dispelled by a younger academic, we celebrate that younger academic for saying, no, this individual got it wrong. And the, in the initial academic is usually the first to honor and highlight that person or to award them or, or to honor them. So civil, civil discourse that respects the other side, that bulletproofs our theories and our notions is so important. I can't tell you how many times people say, I don't always agree with you, but I like your content. Well, that's the whole point. If you're reading uh, media, if you're watching media, if you're listening to people who you only agree with, then you have fucked up. You have gone into a bubble that just cements your current biases. We are never too old to evolve. Nobody ever figures it out. No one is ever 100% right. And if you just want to cement the shit you already have a bias towards, you are not going to grow. So I appreciate that you don't agree with me, but together, if we are thoughtful, if our heart's in the right place, if we push back on each other politely, we're going to craft better solutions. Civil discourse. Thanks for the question, Chase. That's all for this episode. Again, if you'd like to submit a question, please submit a voice recording by visiting officehours.propgmedia.com. Our producers are Caroline Chagrin and Jew Burroughs. Claire Miller is our associate producer. She reminded me that she's Gen Z, not a millennial. If you'd like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Prop G Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you on Thursday.